all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, Galaxy Hoppers and Asteroid Dodgers. You just turned into the most epic Star Wars show on the web, Star Wars Audio Archives. I'm your guy, Kyle, ready to escort you through another Lightspeed episode. Ever felt the excitement of narrowly dodging an asteroid? Me neither. But if we had, this would be just as exciting. Today, we're hurling into the midst of the Old Republic, diving helmet first into the jaw-dropping Part 7 of Annihilation. If you thought Part 6 was as suspenseful as a game of Dejaric with Chewbacca, just you wait. Ready to have your midichlorians blown? Now let's jump right in to part seven. Minister Davidge found it difficult to focus on his work. In part, it was relocating to a temporary office on the west side of the Orbital Defense Command Center. An unavoidable circumstance, considering that his old office and a dozen others on the eastern wing of the building had been reduced to rubble the night before last. The extra guards posted outside his door and inside his door, and following him even when he went home at night didn't help, though he understood the reason behind the extra security. Most troubling of all, however, was the fact that he had personally been targeted for assassination. He'd always considered himself a mere cog in the Imperial machine. A key cog, to be sure, but not one who would ever garner that kind of attention. The Sith Lords and Grand Moths were the face of the Empire, he was just the man who kept the shuttles running on time. He always believed he was protected by his anonymity. He wasn't really part of the war. He was just an analyst crunching numbers. That comforting illusion had been blown to pieces just as surely as everything in his office. While he might not bear any particular ill will to the enemies of the Empire, the attempt on his life made him understand that they hated and despised him. It was unsettling, disturbing and it made dealing with the entire unpleasant business extremely stressful. He'd reviewed the latest report from the Imperial investigators multiple times, looking over the facts that had been gathered over the last 36 hours again and again as he tried to make sense of the whole affair and prepared to give his own report to Darth Marr. The communications room they had set up for him in his temporary office lacked the Durasteel door of his original office, it was separated from the rest of the room by a simple sliding door, but it still gave him the privacy he needed. More important, it also had a black cipher to make sure nobody could listen in on his most sensitive communications. He activated the cipher and waited for the hollow of Darth Mar to materialize as he received and decoded the incoming call with his own cipher. I didn't expect to have to wait a day and a half to get a status report from you, Minister Davidge. Mar said to open their conversation. I didn't want to contact you until I was certain the conversation would be secure, he explained. The cipher in his old office had been destroyed, and there was only one other on Zyost, an inactive spare that had been stored in the maximum security underground vault beneath the ODCC. With everything else that was going on, it had taken some time before the engineers had hooked it up to the communications equipment in his new office. Cautious as ever, Mar noted, though Davidge couldn't tell if it was meant as a compliment, an insult, or simply an offhand remark. I have the details of the report, my lord. I assumed as much when you called me. 
realizing he was testing Mars' patience, the minister dived right into it. None of the suspected terrorists were captured, he said, opening with the bad news. We believe there may have been as many as six involved, but our surveillance cams were only able to capture one of them. I assume you have authorities looking for this person. He, or possibly she, was covered head to toe in heavy clothing. Even the face was obscured by a hood and mask. So we have no leads. We know the Zyost Liberation Front was behind it. They've claimed responsibility. What about our security protocols? How did they fail so completely? Actually, my lord, they didn't. The protocols were designed to keep enemy forces from taking control of the ODCC, not to prevent an attempted assassination. Even with all the damage, orbital defense systems were never compromised or in danger of being disrupted. What of the cipher in your office? Was it compromised? We recovered the cipher from the wreckage. The blast severely damaged it and triggered the core self-destruct sequence. But at least it's accounted for. In the minister's mind, this was the best news of all. Had they been unable to find the cipher in the debris and ashes, they would have had to change the cipher codes. Recalling all the capital ships equipped with a black cipher to be reprogrammed and synchronized would have reduced Imperial efficiency by almost a full percent for the quarter. A loss ratio the minister didn't even like to contemplate. So what is your recommendation going forward? The overall impact of this terrorist attack on the Imperial war effort is negligible. Resources and personnel amount to a loss ratio of less than a one-thousandth of one percent. I've already requisitioned troops to replace those who died during the attack, and repairs on the damaged section of the ODCC are underway. So you propose we should simply continue on, exactly as before? I've ordered security for all the Imperial Ministers to be increased. Again, the overall impact on the Empire is almost too small to calculate. Even at my highest estimates, I... Mar held up a hand to cut him off. Spare me the specifics. There's no need to justify your personal protection detail. The Tsar Council is well aware of the value you and the other ministers contribute to the Empire. The compliment should have made Davidge feel good. Instead, it only reinforced his recent epiphany that he was not an anonymous bean counter. The implications of the Dark Council understanding his importance to the Empire were even more terrifying than the attempt on his life. The Sith Lords didn't ignore things of value. They fought to control them, or destroy them if they belonged to someone else. Thank you, my lord. It's good to know I'm appreciated. I think this attack should signal a shift in our policy. What sort of change? When this war began, we were the aggressors. Now we keep giving ground to the Republic. It's not a matter of choice, my lord. It's a question of resources. The Republic has more ships in their fleet and more soldiers in their army. Retreat makes us look weak, vulnerable, Mar continued as if he hadn't heard Davidge. It emboldens groups like the CLF, makes them dare to plot the assassination of top Imperial officials. 
This was one incident, my lord, but overall we have not seen a statistically relevant increase in anti-imperial activities. You understand numbers, Minister. I understand the minds of our followers and our enemies. This attack heralds a shift in attitude that we cannot ignore. We need to push forward on several fronts, reclaim some of the worlds we have lost to the Republic, attack new worlds that have never before trembled before the might of Imperial power. Davidge groaned inside. There was no point in arguing with Mars' orders, but the Minister knew launching new campaigns of conquest against the Republic would increase the Quarter's loss ratio. I am sending a list of possible targets for analysis. Find where we can reap the most reward for our efforts. Of course, my lord. You know what is best for the Empire. I recommend we use Moff Nezer. You don't seem to have him doing anything vital at the moment. That's because he's an unprofessional, bloodthirsty sociopath with no regard for lives of the enemy or his own soldiers. I will be sure to choose targets from your list that will take best advantage of Moff Nezer's unique talents, Davidge said aloud, though the idea caused bile to bubble up in his throat. I know you will. That's why I find you so useful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first stage of the plan was a complete success. Jace told the three fellow conspirators who had gathered in his office for the debriefing. I think we should celebrate with a drink. I agree, the director said. Master Nosterol, we have some Doran Peach. A gracious offer, but I will decline. Suit yourself, the director said with a shrug. Theron, what's your preference? I don't have any Crygy here in the office, Jace said with a smile. But I've got some of that Corellian reserve I told you about. Sounds good, Theron replied. It had been five days since he and Nosteral had leapt off the edge of the exploding ODCC building. They'd spent the first three of those days waiting on Zyost after local authorities closed all the spaceports and temporarily barred any civilian ships from landing on or leaving the planet. Not that Theron had minded at the time. He spent the days convalescing, while Nosteral made some discreet inquiries into the Imperial investigations. Fortunately, the ZLF had been all too happy to claim responsibility for the attack. Even though they'd actually had nothing to do with it, its members were eager to take the credit for striking a blow against the hated Empire. 
With the Imperials focused on hunting down the ZLF members responsible, it was simple enough for Theron and Nosteral to leave once the spaceports reopened. Bad luck for any members who get caught, though, Theron had thought at the time. But the fate of a small group of radical anti-Imperials on Ziost wasn't something he could afford to worry about. After leaving Ziost, they'd return directly to Coruscant to deliver the Cypher Corps to Jace, who had promptly turned it over to the Director and SIS. Now, two days later, Theron and his partner were in the Supreme Commander's office, being waited on by two of the most important men in the Republic. We've already intercepted several key Imperial transmissions, the Director said, bringing Theron's drink over to him once Jace was done pouring it. It appears they're ramping up their military presence in several contested sectors. Theron took a sip of his drink before speaking, savoring the warm, sweet liquid as it traced its way down his throat. If SIS is careful, we could use the intel to our advantage, without the Empire ever suspecting we're listening in on their encrypted messages. Sounds risky, Jace warned. We're closer to stopping the Ascended Spear than we've ever been. I'm not going to let it slip through our fingers because we got greedy. SIS knows how to be discreet, the director assured him. Give the analytics team access to those transmissions. Let us run our scenarios. I'm sure we'll find something we can exploit without tipping anyone off. Jace was still reluctant. What do you think, Master Nosterol? A tool is of no use if you never pick it up. Master Zhou couldn't have said it better himself, Theron thought, raising a glass to his dearly departed friend before taking another sip of the delicious brandy. I promise we won't act on anything without your approval, the director added. Looks like I'm outnumbered, Jace said with a smile. Just be careful, and don't forget what we're really looking for. We've moved into phase two of our plan, he declared. We monitor the Imperial transmissions and wait for the Spear to send word that it's coming into port. He turned to Theron. Once it's docked, you slip on board, slice into the Spear's systems, program a dormant virus to disrupt the ship's hyperdrive and defenses, and get off the ship before it returns to duty. Sounds easy when you say it, Theron said. Can't be any harder than stealing the cipher, the director noted. Once everything's in place, we track the spear's movements and set an ambush, Jace continued. Hit her with everything we've got. During the battle, we send a signal to activate the dormant virus, and we take Darth Carrot and her ship down. SIS is still trying to pull together the necessary resources, the director cautioned. The spear will dock at a military space station, not some civilian spaceport. We'll need an Imperial military shuttle, proper IDs, uniforms, clearance papers. It's proving more difficult than we thought. Perhaps Theron's contact can help us again. The old Tian Brotherhood has been smuggling contraband onto Imperial space stations for years, Theron agreed. They know every trick in the book to get past security. Getting Tefeth to set up a meeting on Zyost is one thing, the director cautioned. But I don't like you bringing her into an active role in this mission. Why not? Jace wanted to know. Can't we trust her? Yes, Theron said, even as the director answered. No. 
Jace looked back and forth between them, but neither man was willing to back down. I've got this covered, Theron assured the Supreme Commander. Compared to getting the cipher, this job's a piece of cake. You had help getting the cipher, the director reminded him. I'm willing to accompany Theron again when he goes to meet his contact. Before Theron could object, Jace spoke up. And it's settled. We let Theron and Master Nostaral reach out to this Tefith person. I'll have SIS keep working on getting what we need, the director said. Just in case Theron's contact doesn't pan out. Let's take the prosperity again, Theron said to the Jedi, ignoring the director's lack of confidence. Might as well travel in comfort. We can leave tomorrow. The Supreme Commander raised his glass in the air. To the Republic. Theron and the Director echoed his toast, and all three men downed what was left in their glasses. With the meeting over, Theron, Nostaral, and the Director left Jace's office. The young woman behind the reception desk nodded pleasantly at the first two, then gave the Director a glare so filled with venomous rage it actually made Theron shiver. Um, you two go on ahead, the director whispered. I need to schedule some other appointments with the Supreme Commander. <laughs> Maybe she's not going to be his third wife after all, Theron thought, as he and Nostaral continued down the hall. Theron, the Jedi said once they were out of earshot of the others. I have a message for you. From Grandmaster Satil Shan. Oh? Theron said, trying to appear nonchalant. Once again, he wondered if the Jedi knew about their relationship. She wishes to speak with you tonight, in her private chambers. Did she say why? No. She only asked that you not mention this to the Supreme Commander. Great, Theron thought. Mom and Dad are fighting. Isn't it fun being part of a family? Not sure if I'll have time, Theron said. Some things I need to take care of before we leave tomorrow. I understand. But if you change your mind, Grandmaster Shan will be expecting you. The last time Theron had spoken with Satil had been on Tython. That meeting had been his idea. He'd snuck into her private quarters to tell her about Nagami Zhou's death. Zhou had been her master and her mentor, and she deserved to hear the news in person, not over a hollow or in some report. At the time, he'd pretended not to know she was his mother, and she made no mention of recognizing him as her son. But he had the sense they both knew the truth, though neither was willing to acknowledge it. This time would be different, Theron decided. He was tired of playing games... Well, most games. Despite being invited, he was still breaking into her apartment. Part of it was the challenge. He just wanted to prove he could do it. But he also didn't want others to figure out that he and Satil were related. Shan was a common surname, but it was unusual for an SIS field agent to meet in person with the Grand Master of the Jedi Order. It wasn't like he was being followed, but on the slim chance someone saw him at her door... He didn't want anyone to start making connections. Theron was convinced his life would get a lot more complicated if their relationship went public. Probably bad for her, too, Theron assured himself, doing her a favor by breaking in. 
The Jedi still officially condemned the emotional attachments of marriage and children. If people found out Satil had a son, they'd think she was a hypocrite. If they knew she spent her whole life acting as if I didn't even exist, Theron wondered. Would that make things better or worse? Disabling the building's perimeter sensors and scaling the wall took only a few minutes, and it gave Theron a chance to work out his injured shoulder. He'd been favoring it for the past five days. It was time to see how it was healing. By the time he swung his legs over the railing of her third-floor balcony, he was satisfied that he'd make a full recovery. His shoulder was a little tired, but otherwise felt good. Another week and it would be back to 100%. The sliding glass doors leading from the balcony and into the apartment were wide open, despite the chill of the night air. Clearly, Satil was expecting him. As he stepped into the apartment, she rose from the chair she had been sitting in. She was wearing the simple brown robes of a Jedi, her hood thrown back, her shoulder-length hair was brown with some faint silver-gray highlights that gave her a regal air. Theron didn't see much family resemblance in their features, but he wasn't looking that hard. Her skin was surprisingly smooth and clear, though she was close to 60. She looked at least two decades younger. Is that because the force flows through her? He thought. Or is it just good genes? Thank you for coming, she said. Please... Come in and close the door. Theron complied, sliding the patio doors shut as his eyes took in his surroundings. The apartment was fully furnished and decorated. Nothing overly lavish or opulent, but it was obvious more than a few credits had been spent. I thought the Jedi didn't believe in material goods. The apartment was furnished when I moved in, Satil said. And it's important to make visitors feel comfortable. Do you really think less of me because I'm not living in an empty hut with nothing to my name but the clothes on my back and a meditation mat? That's how Master Zhou lived most of his life, Theron said. He was never Grandmaster. He enjoyed a simpler existence. I have certain expectations and obligations that I must meet, even if they go against what I would choose for myself. You wanted to see me? Theron said, changing the subject. After a brief pause, he added a sarcastic, Mother? You have every right to be angry with me, Satya replied, her voice calm but also tinged with sorrow. I don't expect you to fully understand why I had to give you up, but you should know it was the most difficult thing I have ever done. Is that why you wanted to see me? Theron asked. To tell me you made a mistake? I didn't say that she replied. As hard as it was, giving you up was the right choice. I would do it again. Theron sighed. I understand better than you think, he said, his voice softening. I'm not angry at you. I respect what you did. You made a sacrifice for the sake of the Republic. And for you, Theron, Satil said, coming toward him and placing a hand on his arm. I knew Nagani Zhou would raise you well. You were better off with him than me. Theron didn't shrug her hand away, though he stiffened uncomfortably at her touch. Sensing this, she pulled back, though her serene expression never changed. When I see what you've become, she continued, I know I made the right decision. Nagani Zhou would be proud of you, Theron. <laughs> 
I'm proud of you. I don't need your approval, Theron said, though he was careful to keep any venom from coloring his words. Of course not, she said, turning away and walking back to the center of the room before turning to face him again. But you have it anyway. Was there anything else you wanted to say? Theron asked. Master Nosteral and I are leaving tomorrow morning. I know you've been working with Jace Malcolm. You mean my father? I suppose it was inevitable that he would find out, she said. Perhaps I should have told him sooner. That's between you and him, Theron insisted. I'm happy with my life. I'm comfortable with who I am. None of this matters to me. But it matters to Jace, she said. You may not hold any bitterness in your heart toward me, but I fear he does. I can see how that might be a problem, Theron said. For the Republic, I mean. He didn't need a report from analytics to understand that anything that might negatively affect the relationship between the leader of the Jedi and the supreme commander of all Republic forces was a potential cause for concern. Jace is a good soldier, Satil assured him. He will not put his personal feelings ahead of his duty and responsibilities. We have that in common. Really? I thought that might be the reason you never told me about him. You didn't think he'd be able to handle the emotional burden of a child. It wasn't that, she said, speaking slowly. I've known Jace for many years. We fought side by side, and we truly cared for each other. But as the war continued, I felt something change in him. I feared he would fall to the dark side. Theron actually laughed out loud. <laughs> you were afraid Jace Malcolm, the Supreme Commander, would betray the Republic? Of course not, she replied, a hint of frustration poking through her calm exterior. Jace will always be loyal to the Republic, but you do not have to follow the Sith to be an agent of the Dark Side. Jace is a good man, but the war has left its mark on him. There is so much anger and bitterness inside him. So much hate. Hate leads to the dark side, Theron said, getting the words out before she could. Nagani Show taught me all the Jedi platitudes, he added. You mock, but there is truth in our teachings, she chided him. Wow, you sound just like my mother, Theron joked. Jace fights this war out of revenge she continued, trying to make him see the urgency of her warning. It clouds his judgment. It can make him do terrible things if he believes they are necessary to save the Republic. That doesn't sound so wrong to me, Theron answered. Sometimes the ends justify the means. The dark side is insidious, she warned. Hate will transform you into the very evil that you are fighting so hard against. I know Master Joe taught you this lesson, she added softly. He taught me a lot of things, Theron shot back, his blood suddenly boiling. Back when he thought I was going to be a Jedi. But I'm not a Jedi, and neither is my father. It was clear to him now what was going on. Satil was afraid Jace was going to somehow corrupt him, and she was determined to save her son by sharing her glorious wisdom. Her condescending arrogance encapsulated everything that was wrong with the Jedi. Light side, dark side, these are just empty words, he continued, 
his voice rising to a shout. There are only two sides I care about. Us and them. Republic or Empire. It was not my intention to upset you, she said. Of course not, Theron replied. That would mean I was showing some emotion. And we all know there is no emotion. Only peace, right? He waited for Satil to offer another pre-packaged Jedi mantra in response. But the Grand Master caught him off guard. Theron, I know you don't want me as part of your life, she said, seemingly abandoning their argument midstream and changing topics. I respect your choice, but you know where to find me if you ever need my help. Reach out to me, and I will be there. I promise. Don't hold your breath, Theron said. Are we done here? I have said my piece, she told him. Theron turned his back on her, and marched over to the balcony doors. He yanked them open and climbed over the railing, relieved to leave Satil and her insipid Jedi philosophy behind. Satil watched Theron go, hoping she hadn't done more harm than good. The meeting had been a constant battle between the logical part of her mind and the powerful feelings she had felt welling up inside her. She hadn't expected to be so profoundly affected merely from speaking with Theron. Even though he was her biological son, she barely knew him. He wasn't part of her life anymore. Not in any real sense. And yet it had taken all her training to deny the emotions that threatened to overwhelm her. The Jedi restriction against family attachments made more sense to her now than ever. She couldn't even fathom how much harder it would have been to remain calm and focused if she had raised Theron herself. All of her feelings would have been magnified a thousandfold, making it impossible not to respond to his anger with her own. Even now, several minutes after he was gone, she could still feel the effects of their confrontation. Her heart was beating far too rapidly in response to the adrenaline that had flooded her system. There is no emotion... There is peace, she whispered, seeking solace in the same words Theron had thrown in her face. She had hoped that being raised by Nagani Zhou, her old master, would have prepared Theron to better understand and appreciate her fears about Jace. And it was possible he might still heed her warning. Satil suspected her son's anger was more a product of the emotional stress of confronting his mother than a response to her actual arguments. Once he calmed down... There was still a chance he would see her point. Or maybe he just has too much of his father in him, she thought. Maybe meeting Theron was a mistake. Maybe she had made things worse. Maybe she was wrong to speak with Theron behind his father's back. Because of their history, she tried to keep her relationship with Jace strictly professional. By focusing exclusively on their duties to the Republic, they avoided dredging up painful memories and feelings. But maybe denying their past wasn't always the answer. Maybe it was time to talk to Jace. Not as Grand Master to Supreme Commander, but as a man and woman who had once shared a deep and powerful love. Satil shook her head. She was restless and unsettled, unable to find a proper sense of calm and balance. She sensed long-denied memories creeping around the edges of her consciousness, awakened by Theron's presence. Instead of pushing them away, as she had so often done in the past, she closed her eyes and sat down cross-legged on the floor, opening herself to them. 
painful as they were, she needed to accept and acknowledge their existence if she hoped to focus and still her racing thoughts. Jace's command tent was a buzz of activity, with soldiers rushing in and out, delivering status reports to the newly promoted general and relaying his orders to his troops. He was standing over a small table, looking over a map of the battlefield covered with red and blue markers indicating the respective position of enemy and allied troops. General Malcolm, Satil said as she entered the tent and approached the table. I need to speak with you alone. She could have waited until evening fell. Most nights, Jace still managed to slip away and see her in private. But what she had to say couldn't wait. So far, they had managed to keep their love and their six-month affair secret. Approaching him in the open lacked discretion. But it wasn't unheard of for a Republic general and a Jedi master to discuss strategy in private. So her request wasn't likely to raise any suspicions. You heard, Master Shad. Jace barked. Clear out! The soldiers in the tent, along with the half-dozen officers who served as his advisors in the field, moved with typical military precision and efficiency, emptying the tent in a matter of seconds. What is it, Sadil? Jace asked, dropping the formal address he'd used in front of the others. She heard the worry and concern in his tone. She hadn't told him she was pregnant yet. She'd only sensed the day's old life growing inside her because of her powerful connection with the Force. It would be months before her body began to show any physical signs of her condition. Jace must have read something in her expression. After six months of sharing their most intimate moments, it was difficult to hide anything from each other. But Satil hadn't come to tell him about the pregnancy. Not yet. There was something else she had to deal with first. I've heard you're sending troops up into the mountains to search for the Imperials who fled the battle. Jace nodded. Some of them surrendered when we broke their ranks, but most of them are trying to make their way over to the spaceports near Gelmatar so they can escape off-world. Let them go, Satil said. You don't need to hunt them down like animals. If they surrender to the patrols, we won't do them any harm. They don't know that, Satil reminded him. They will fight out of fear for their lives, and your people will have no choice but to fight back. Call off the patrols and many lives will be spared. I'm not going to let enemy soldiers get away and go back to the Empire just so we can face them in another battle on some other world, he protested. How many of them will actually return to the Empire? Satil countered. Most of them will slink off to other worlds and disappear into civilian life. I disagree, he said. And it's my decision, not yours. This decision is guided by anger and hate, Satil warned him. Of course it is, Jake shouted. You've seen what they're capable of. You've seen the death and horror they've unleashed on innocent worlds. We're supposed to hate them. They're the enemy. There was a sudden silence, the fury of his words momentarily shocking them both into silence. Then Jace came around from behind his table and placed his hands on Satil's shoulders. I'm sorry, Satil. I didn't mean that the way it sounded. But I can't do what you do. I can't just brush away all the pain the Empire has caused. Revenge won't ease that pain, Jace. When the war first started, 
I used to keep a list of every friend I'd seen die in battle, Chase told her. I'd recite their names each night before I went to sleep, trying to remember their faces, clinging to their memories. As the war dragged on, the list grew longer. After a few years, it was too long for me to recite each night. Then it became too long for me to even remember them all. Hundreds and hundreds of good men and women. Their lives taken by the Empire. And every Imperial soldier that isn't captured or killed is someone who might add another name to that list. That's why I have to send out my patrols. That's why we have to hunt the enemy down like animals. I owe it to the names on that list. Satil remained silent as he spoke, but his words filled her with horror and dread. She knew Jace was loyal, but she'd never imagined his loyalty to his fallen friends would be the catalyst for so much anger. Killing Imperials can't bring back the people on the list, she told him. Killing Imperials is how we win this war, he told her. And winning the war is the only way to stop adding names to my list. This is a dangerous path, Jace. You're taking the love for your friends and turning it into something dark and twisted. Something that will drive you to evil. We don't see things the same way, Jace explained. I'm not a Jedi. What if something happens to me? Satil wondered. What happens if one day you add my name to your list? Silently, she added. Or your child's. Jace's expression was grim. I'd rain destruction down on the Empire, he said quietly. I'd destroy their cities and burn their worlds. That's not what I would want. I know, Jace answered. But I can't help who I am. After a few seconds, he added. But I don't think we're really that different. If something happened to me... I don't believe you could pretend it didn't matter. I think in your grief and anger, you'd lash out at the Empire, too. That's not the Jedi way, she said. But even as she spoke the words, she wondered if Jace was right. How could she not hate the Empire if they took away the man she loved? How could she not hate them if they had the blood of her unborn child on their hands? I... I'm not a soldier, she said her voice uncertain as she took a step back from him. I'm a Jedi. It's okay, Satil, Jace said, stepping toward her and extending his hand. She turned and rushed from the tent, ignoring him as he called out for her to wait. She fled beyond the perimeter of the camp and into the cover of the night's darkness, where she finally stopped and collapsed on the ground. Her breath was coming in ragged gasps that quickly turned into hitching sobs. She was drowned in a flood of powerful emotions. The tears came next, and she didn't try to stop them. She cried for several minutes before slowly collecting herself. The flow of tears dried up, and her sobs became a soothing rhythm of inhale, exhale. She recognized that part of her reaction was due to the hormones coursing through her pregnant body, and some of it was due to her still struggling to accept the fact that she was going to have a child. But that couldn't explain everything away. She had sensed the hate and darkness inside Jace before, though it had taken the impending birth of their child to make her confront him about it. 
What she hadn't realized was that the same potential for hate and anger lurked inside her as well. Her feelings for Jace were too strong. If something happened to him, she feared all her Jedi training wouldn't be able to save her from seeking vengeance against the Empire. With her child, she knew it would be even worse. This path leads to the dark side, she said. And in that moment of clarity, Satil knew what she had to do. Satil opened her eyes as the memories faded away. They still hurt, even three decades later. As much as she wanted to believe she could master and control her emotions, when it came to Theron and Jace, she had to recognize that it simply wasn't possible. They would always evoke a powerful reaction in her. It was a weakness she had to acknowledge. If she were to confront Jace about his potentially harmful influence on their son, it would only make things worse. Like Theron, he would react to her interference with anger, and she would inevitably respond in kind. Better not to get involved any further. She'd cut them out of her life for a reason. It was the only way she could fully serve the Republic. She had sacrificed her chance to have a family and an ordinary life when she chose the Order. And, hard as it was, she couldn't go back on that decision now. Nost Dural was already waiting for him when Theron arrived at the shuttle. He expected him to ask if he had spoken with Satil, but the Keldor didn't bring it up. So, where do we go to meet this contact of yours? Chigani Port, Theron said, on Deceivro. Tracking Tepeth down hadn't been hard. The SIS had a well-established network of informants at all the major spaceports that weren't under Imperial control. Getting information on the movements of people passing through the ports in the hot worlds or non-affiliated sectors like the Tian Hegemony was a routine procedure, provided the target wasn't taking unusual steps to conceal his or her identity. The purpose of the network wasn't really to allow Theron to get regular updates on a small-time criminal working for the old Tian Brotherhood. But he wasn't the only agent who used SIS resources to track individuals for non-official reasons. The director normally turned a blind eye to these minor violations if the agents didn't overly abuse the system. Though now that Tepeth could actually be useful to the Republic, there was no reason to worry about being discreet. As the Jedi punched in the coordinates to the Prosperity's nav computer, Theron's mind kept drifting back to his meeting with Satil and her warnings about Jace. It wasn't like him to lose his composure. Satil hadn't done or said anything that didn't fit with what he expected from a Jedi Master. It really shouldn't have set him off like it did. Prepare for liftoff. Theron understood that in the grand scheme of things, the Jedi were good to have around. The Republic wouldn't have survived without them. And though there may be differences between how they perceived the war against the Empire and how the rest of the Republic viewed it, in the end they were all on the same side. So why had he lashed out so intensely at Satil? Was it because his Grand Master, all the stereotypical Jedi traits he found most irritating were amplified in her? Or was it just because she was his mother? Their shuttle took to the sky, breaking Coruscant's atmosphere a few seconds later. Once it was clear of the planet's orbital flight lanes, Nostaral flipped the switch and they made the jump to hyperspace. As the star field through the cockpit window became a blur of white, 
Theron decided he might as well pass the time by finding out if his partner shared Satil's opinions about the Supreme Commander. I met with Grandmaster Shan, he said. Good, Nostaral replied. I trust the meeting went well. Theron still didn't know if the Keldor knew Satil was his mother, so he decided not to bring it up. She has some concerns about Jace Malcolm. She's worried he's driven by hate and vengeance. She's afraid he might slip over to the dark side. Grandmaster Shan knows him better than I do. They served together many times. It is possible she saw something in him that troubled her. You don't sound too worried about it. It's a common fear in our order when we work with the military. Jedi are not soldiers. We do not approach war with the same mentality. Times of galactic strife and suffering will inevitably force the Republic into a struggle between the darkness and the light. As Jedi, it is our role to try to keep the Republic on the proper path. At times, this can lead to tension and conflict, particularly when dealing with someone as strong-willed as Jace Malcolm. But it does not mean we are not all working to achieve the same goals. Sounds pretty reasonable when you say it like that, said Theron. I'm surprised Grandmaster Shan didn't explain this to you herself. Maybe she tried, Theron admitted. But the words she used didn't really get through. Sometimes personalities clash. Even the Grandmaster is not the right teacher for every student. Theron bristled momentarily at the implication that he was learning at Nostaral's feet. But he quickly brushed his irritation aside. The Keldor hadn't meant anything by his words. It was just that odd way Jedi had of speaking that made normal folks feel like they were being condescending. Maybe half the problem is you, he chided himself. Gotta stop being so sensitive. He yawned, suddenly aware of how tired he was. He hadn't slept well after his meeting with Satil. I'm gonna grab 40 winks. Wake me when we get to Deceivero. The customs authorities at Chagani Port weren't anything like Imperial security on Zyost. They didn't require clearance papers or approvals, or even an official ship registration. All they wanted was someone to pay the 50-credit docking fee and the 100-credit deposit on the hangar. Theron paid them out of his own pocket, not bothering to get a receipt so he could apply for reimbursement later. He wasn't sure how much of this mission was coming out of the SIS budget, but considering the Jedi had supplied the ship, he didn't mind footing the bill for parking. Where to now? Nostaral asked Theron as he paid the customs official. If I know Tiffith, she'll be hanging around the dirtiest, nastiest, most dangerous spot to get a drink in this place. That'd be the crooked finger, the customs agent answered. Not sure it's your kind of place, fellas, he said, glancing up at the Jedi's luxury shuttle. Want me to arrange a security escort? It wasn't difficult to understand his concern. Nostaral was wearing nondescript robes rather than his Jedi garb, and his lightsaber was tucked out of sight. Theron had donned his custom bracers with a full complement of toxin darts and a recharged pinpoint laser, but not everyone would realize they were more than just a stylish choice of wardrobe. And the single blaster on his hip looked woefully underpowered for the kind of people they were bound to run into wandering Jagani Port's seedier dives. 
We can handle ourselves. Theron assured him. Just point us in the right direction. When they reached the Crooked Finger, it was everything Theron had expected. Dimly lit to hide the dirt and grime, and overflowing with a motley assortment of heavily armed thugs and criminals. Music from a slightly out-of-time live band spilled out the door, along with the clamor of the patrons shouting to be heard above the music. A pair of large Nictos sitting by the door sprang up as they entered, barring their way. Covered charge to get in, the bigger of the two said. Fifty credits each. Theron highly doubted they actually worked for the bar, but he didn't see the point in starting something. Before he could dig out any more credits, though, Nostaral intervened. No cover for us, he said, waving his hand in front of him in an almost hypnotic gesture. We're friends of the owner. Guess we can let you through. The smaller Nikto answered as he and his friend stepped to the side. Seeing us how you know the owner. Once they were inside, Theron leaned in close enough for Nostaral to hear him above the music and the general din of the crowd. Do you know how much easier my life would be if I could learn that trick? He said. Best thing about being a Jedi, if you ask me. It doesn't work on everyone. Only those with weak minds. Nikto are particularly susceptible. They made their way through the maze of tables and chairs, Theron's eyes scanning the bar for a yellow-skinned Twi'lek. He spotted her sitting at a table in the back corner with a scrawny-looking Rodian. Theron had expected her to be sitting alone. Tefet didn't normally make friends. There she is, he told his companion. Better let me do the talking. As they drew near, he could see that the Rodian was talking animatedly with Tefet. He couldn't make out the words, but the Rodian's lips were moving, his ears were twitching, and his hands gesticulated wildly. Tefet, on the other hand, was barely paying attention. She looked bored, or maybe drunk, sitting slumped forward in her seat with her hands folded in her lap beneath the table. Hello, Tefet, Theron said when they reached the table. Mind if we sit down? Her dissatisfied posture vanished as she whipped a blaster up from under the table. Clearly, she'd had it in her lap the entire time. The Rodian's eyes opened wide, then went back to normal once he realized she wasn't pointing the pistol at him. Saw you across the room, Tepeth said to Theron. Too crowded to shoot until you got close. Despite her words, Theron knew she had no intention of actually pulling the trigger. Not unless he gave her a reason to. You get to count of three to walk away, she said. Her oddly accented basic still as impossible to place as Theron remembered. There is no need for the pistol, Nostaral said, his hand making the same slow wave he'd used on the Nikto at the door. We are all friends here. A strange look crossed over Tefet's face, and the tip of her blaster dipped momentarily, only to pop back up and take dead aim at Theron's midsection. Not friends. One... I'm not here checking up on you, Theron reassured her. I'm just here to talk business. Not interested. Deal was you leave us alone. Two. The job pays well, Theron continued. If you can handle it. Maybe we should listen to him, the Rodian chimed in. Tefeth glared at him before turning her gaze back to Theron. 
Vib convinced us, she said, placing the blaster flat on the table. You sit, you talk, we listen, then we shoot you. Theron and Nostaral settled into the two open seats at the table. Ugly head got a name? Tefeth asked, nodding at the Keldor. Nostaral, he answered, not even slightly offended by the insult. Master Nostaral, Theron clarified. He's a Jedi, like Master Zhou. Zhou not like other Jedi, Tefeth grunted, and Theron couldn't argue with that. Your assistance on Zyost was quite helpful, the Keldor said, trying to get on her good side. You cutting deals with outsiders behind Gorbich's back, Beb said, shaking his head. That's bad business, Tef. Tefeth shot Nostaral an angry glare before turning her attention back to Theron. You said you got another job? Everyone knows the Brotherhood smuggles contraband onto the Imperial space stations, Theron said, speaking quickly. You've got the contacts, you've got the clearance codes, and you've got the ships. We know what we got. You got the points? I want you to help us get onto one of the space stations. Which one? We don't really know yet. It's going to be sort of a last-minute thing when it happens. Tefeth shook her head. Can't help. What are you talking about, Tef? The Rodian exclaimed. Gorvich can pull this off no problem. Shut up, Vib. Tefeth growled. Turning to Theron, she said. Too dangerous. Another crazy mission. Nodding in Nostaral's direction, she added. Another crazy Jedi. Come on, Tefeth. You won't even have to be involved. Just set up another meeting with someone who can help us out. Already set up meeting for you, she said. One per customer. Don't do it for me, then, Theron said, reaching for one last card to play. Do it because it's the right thing. Do it because Nagani Zhou would have wanted you to help us. It's the least you can do for him, now that he's gone. Zhou's debt's non-transferable, she said. But Theron could see her resolve softening at the mention of their old friend. Tefeth hadn't been around Joe for long, but he knew they'd formed a powerful bond. His mentor had that effect on people. I'll throw in enough credits to choke a bantha, Theron offered. Okay, she finally agreed. We take you to Corvich, but that's it. Then you disappear, for real this time. Of course, Theron promised her. I wouldn't have it any other way. Woo! I'm buzzing like a lightsaber in a dark cave, folks. Part 7, absolute bantha fodder. And I mean that in the best way. I hope y'all felt the same rush. Like making a Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Diving into the Old Republic's annihilation feels like piloting the Falcon through an asteroid field, all while Vader is hot on your tail. It's that exhilarating. But wait, it's not time to jump into hyperspace just yet. Hold on to your droids, because here comes our legendary quote of this episode. And this gem is delivered straight from Brian Tracy. He said, winners make it a habit of manufacturing their own positive expectation in advance of the event. So what does that quote really mean? Well, it said winners, those who come out on top, have a habit of creating positive expectations before the event even happens. They set their minds on success and visualize themselves achieving their goals. It's like they're building a powerful mind state that propels them towards victory. This positive mindset isn't just wishful thinking, it's a powerful tool. When you truly believe in yourself and your abilities, you are more likely to put in the effort and take actions that lead across success. 
you become motivated, focused, and ready to tackle any challenge that comes your way. Instead of doubting yourself and thinking, I'll never make it, start manufacturing your own positive expectations. Believe in yourself, visualize success, and take action towards your goal. With this mind state, you'll be unstoppable. And I think that's all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed part seven of Annihilation, and I hope you will join me for part eight in a few days. Until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.